I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, What's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, boys and girls, welcome once again to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast and the Paddle and Fit Network. Um, let's see, rundown of my week before we actually diving into this episode. Um, cold weather here in Texas. It's been kind of like weekends get cold. Weeks gets warm, and then it gets cold again. So it's been kind of up and down. We go from the 40 degrees to mid-30s to 80 degrees, and we two days later, we go back to freezing weather. So it's been kind of an interesting bipolar winter, which it usually is here in Texas on February. But a lot of great tournaments took place, a lot of great tournaments coming up. Uh, Broken Bowl, first day of Broken Bowl registration, and I think it's going to be sold out. Uh, Less than 24 hours. So that's great for Hobie BOS. Glad to see the tournaments are growing. Speaking of tournaments, we're going to be talking about tournaments and fishing up in the Pacific Northwest. Marvin Forte is going to be my my guest for the day. And I really like the Pacific Northwest area. Although I've never been there. I have friends that have moved there. And I've always find it interesting um, and I really gravitated to that side of the country and it's in my bucket list to go visit quick story i almost moved from puerto rico to seattle on a job for um what was called immigration naturalization service the ins before it became homeland security and i was going to be stationed in seattle and in that area um it was a great job opportunity but that's when they started merging Kind of like Homeland Security shortly after 9-11 and change of an administration in the White House. So paperwork got kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. When they finally told me they had a position, I had moved on to other things. So I never got to move to that area. But I did a lot of research on that area when I was going to move, and I was really excited to move to that area of the United States. But anyways, I digress. I'm going to bring in my next guest, and we're going to be talking about fishing, tournament fishing, and uh, Fun fishing up in the Oregon area. And uh, again, Mike Marvin Forte, he is a tournament director in that area. Um, we're going to be talking about Idaho too. So another a lot of great places over there that I think don't get the love that they should when it comes to bass fishing. But before we go into my next guest, quick shout out once again to my sponsor, Douglas Rod. Go to douglasoutdoors.com. Check out their full lineup of LRS graphite rods, X matrix rods, and award-winning fly fishing rods. So go check him out. We'll go to a quick promotion for waypoints, and then we'll bring in Marvin Forte. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals 
are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Marvin Forte. Forte, is that how you pronounce your last name? Right? Yes, that, that works. Good. I forgot to ask you before we started the recording, so I was like, I hope I'm getting it right. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Pretty good, man. Honored to have you on the podcast. I was talking to Dan Perry about bringing in a guest, and I wanted to touch on different areas, not just stay with Texas fishing and all that. And again, Pacific Northwest is one of the areas that doesn't get the love that it actually deserves or the recognition when it comes to bass fishing. I think a lot of people think of it as trout and steelhead, but smallmouth fishing, I've heard it's great. Um, So Marvin, before we dive into all that, uh, tell us a little bit about you, how you got into kayak fishing, how you got into being the tournament director over there in that area of the country. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, thank, thanks a ton for having me on, Armando. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I got started fishing as a, as a little kid. I don't even remember catching my first fish. It was before I can remember. Um, but I remember catching my first bass. I was about nine, 10 years old and fishing for bluegill or in the South, as they call them, brim. And uh, hooked into a, about a five-pound bass and just blew my mind. So, you know, I've fished my whole life. Uh, I kind of stopped fishing a bit as an adult when I got busy. And then I got back into it probably, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago or so. And I got into kayak fishing around 2015. I picked up a, a paddle kayak because it was I, I was fishing from the shore and, and when friends would take me out on their boats or something. So I was looking for a way to get out on the water and explore more. And I just fell in love with it. It, uh, you know, for some people, it's like a stepping stone up to a boat. For me, it's like, no, I'd, I'd rather kayak fish. Uh, I love being in tune with the water. I love being right on top of the water where I can reach down and touch the water anytime I want to. Fighting a fish that's right in your face. Uh, yeah, I, I just adore that that side of it, being tuned into nature. And instead of feeling like I'm battling against nature to catch a fish, you have to work. In a kayak, you got to work with nature. You got to work with the wind. You got to work with the current. You, it's not like a boat where you can just crank up the motor and go. Now, I, I, you're preaching to the choir here. Because I, feel <laughs> exactly, I figured I was. Yeah, exactly the same way about it. I was doing a live show with Brandon Mays uh, from that bass fishing group up in Instagram, and I was mentioning that. You know, it's just that it's not that I don't want to have a boat or can't afford a boat. It's just that kayak fishing brings so much more enjoyment in the fishing part of it um that i just like i can't i can't choose any other vessel to fish other than kayak fish um and it's like all the same reasons that you mentioned you know it's yeah. just the, the, yeah. that one-on-one with nature kind of like and that mano a mano fight if you will with the bass kind of uh-huh. gives it more of a level playing field <laughs> makes it a little bit more exciting it does but man, so your first fish was a five pounder bass. You know how many years it took me to get a five pound bass, and I live in Texas. That's pretty awesome. I, I mean, I, you know, your memory's a little foggy. I asked my dad at that time. My dad was with me. I said, "So how big was it? How big was?" It? He said, "Oh, it was about five pounds." So I'm trusting his judgment on it, his his memory of it at the time. Uh, 
but yeah, it was a big fish. I know that it was the biggest fish I remember ever catching at that at that age on a you, you know on a night crawler too, of all things. You mentioned your first kayak was a paddle kayak. What kayak was it? Do you remember? It was a uh, yeah, it was a native watercraft Slayer Twelve, um, and I'm I'm native pro staff to this day. I'm I'm st still uh, loyal and dedicated to native. Uh, I love their boats, um, but yeah, it was a cool kayak. Uh, all my friends started calling me Green Machine because it was like this lime green, super bright boat. I wanted to be seen by the boats out on the, you know, the power boats out on the reservoirs down in Arizona when I picked it up. I was living in Arizona at the time when I got it. So let me ask you this. From fishing in Arizona, bass fishing, which I'm assuming it's limited, right? I, I, I know Arizona doesn't have that much, um, you know, that many lakes and all that. You'd be surprised. Really? Yeah, you'd really be surprised. It's uh there and there's some real hammers down there. You know, like Bryce Gibbs is in, in the Phoenix oh, yeah, area. And I used to fish with Bryce a lot. He and I he and I are pretty tight. And uh I mean there's some big reservoirs. There's this uh the Salt River goes down through Arizona and they made a bunch of reservoirs along it. So there's like this string of, of big reservoirs. And uh, largemouth, especially, there's some huge largemouth. My my biggest largemouth there was a 25-inch largemouth, about, oh, that's not about at all. 10 and a half pounds, something like that. So you huge see, fish. I was, I was misinformed. I didn't know that bass fishing culture was I, that great. I, I tend to live in the places that people don't think have good fish. <laughs> but so compare that to uh, now Pacific Northwest. Northwest, sorry. Yeah, it's kind of the polar opposite. Yeah. 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 It, uh, you know, Arizona is probably a little closer to Texas in terms of what it has going for it. Lots of largemouth. You get up into the mountains and there's some smallmouth there, but it's pretty hard to find uh, real big smallmouth there. You can. They, they pop up now and then. Uh, up here, uh, the smallmouth are a lot more dominant um, in the river systems. And then there are a lot of lakes that have good largemouth too, but um, the largemouth, because of our climate it's a little cooler here year round uh, and in the winter um they just don't get quite as big you know you can catch uh, you know like an eight or nine pounder here is sort of a fish of a lifetime and and i've got buddies who've caught eight or nine pounders here but that's that's a rare fish up here and it's going to be a really old fish that's been beaten up it's haggard it's they're usually real fat they're they're a little shorter so it, it might be a 22 inch fish that's nine pounds eight nine pounds but it's going to be real wide and it's just going to be eaten up uh whereas the smallmouth and, and you can you can find largemouth in the river systems too like in the columbia river you can find largemouth there too if you look in the right places and those fish are younger and healthier there's a lot more food you you know fish and current you're always going to find fish that are a lot tougher, a lot harder fighting fish than lake fish anyway. Um, so yeah, you but you can find giant smallmouth in the uh, the Columbia River, the Snake River, uh, Dorshack Reservoir up in Idaho. Um, there, there's lots of really good places to find smallmouth. And, you know, my biggest up here is, is about 21 inches. And you can, I know people who've got 22, 23 inch smallmouth, which is you know, that's a world-class smallmouth wherever you catch it. You fish the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania. You fish Lake Champlain and any of these classic smallmouth places. And that's that's a huge fish anywhere you go. Yeah, so there's you're not – shouldn't be considered second place when it comes to smallmouth fishing compared no. to other places. But for whatever reason. Now, let me ask you this. How is the bass fishing culture? Because it's one thing to have that plentiful smallmouth bass. The other thing is – like do people want to fish for? Because I know, you know, like fly fishing, steelhead, salmon fishing, those sure. are big in that area. How's the how's the bass fishing and how is it progressing? The community is great. The bass fishing community is strong and very cohesive. But like you alluded to, uh, you know, salmon and steelhead are sort of king up here. And sturgeon and uh saltwater fishing, of course, is is great up here also. So those for, for so long, those were such a huge resource um, for anglers to go after and for money to be spent and for people to travel here to fish for. 
But now the salmon and steelhead are really a dwindling resource. Uh, if it weren't for the hatcheries, the fishery would be gone, I think. Um, the wild fish are, the true native wild fish are hard to come by. Um, so the hatcheries are kind of keeping it alive. And, and every year the runs just seem to get worse and worse. Uh, we had pretty good steelhead run this year, winter steelhead run, but the salmon runs have been pretty, pretty dismal. Um, Coho is still doing okay in, in hatchery rivers, but, you know, like the wild Chinook salmon, the king salmon, they're smaller and in much smaller numbers than they used to be. So some of those anglers are switching over to warm water species. They're fishing for, for bass, for walleye, um, because there's pretty good walleye fisheries up here as well. Um, but, uh, I don't know. The, we, we kind of get looked down upon by the salmon and steelhead anglers as, you know, oh, that's easy to fish for. And of course they haven't done it, but, uh, they think, but you know, they're throwing bait, we're throwing artificial lures and they're throwing bait. So that's a little unfair comparison, but yeah, we're sort of the redheaded stepchild up here. Um, but the community of people who actually fish it, love it. And it is, like you said, growing uh, at an exponential rate. Um, you know, in our tournament series here, last year alone, we, we nearly doubled the numbers of anglers that we have. We have over 200 registered members in our, uh, in our tour series. It's interesting that you mentioned that one of the reasons you get looked down upon from you know, compared to steelhead and trout, it's because they think it's easier. Like I, I think it's the complete opposite. Like over here, in I Texas, agree. when they stock trout and I love it every year, I haven't done it this <laughs> year, but I'm planning to do it um, sometime probably next week, but hit the Brazos river and go for some um, trout. But to me, it's super easy. Like I stalker trout. Yeah. Stalker trout is super easy. Yeah. It's like, Fish in a barrel. I mean, yeah. I'll get a five yeah. uh, five limit in an hour. Like most of the time, Sorry. I was just like, I'll just let go of the little ones because obviously they're gonna die. So it's really, if you fish it, keep it because the thing is gonna die. It's not gonna survive. Some only sure. in the Guadalupe River are they gonna survive. Um, so it's like it's super easy to fish for this. Why would you think La Bass is more like you? You got to figure it out. The I don't know. Just to me, maybe it's out of ignorance. Because my limited knowledge in fishing for trout, but I just figure it's super easy to fish. For they, trout. Yeah, I think I think they just haven't experienced it. I mean, yeah. I think you know catching a twelve-inch bass, it's not very hard. You know, if you if you're throwing something decent and there are small bass around, they're pretty easy to catch. But those people that say it's easy, I'm like, well, how many how many twenty-two-inch bass have you caught? Because yeah. that's a different animal. I mean, that's a fish that has beaten the odds uh and survived uh, you know 10 million to one chance of, of getting that big and that old and when when fish gets that big and that old it ain't dumb you know it didn't get yeah. there by being stupid and being easy to catch or it'd be gone um so yeah and it's i think it's the same thing like you're saying with stalker stalker trout are easy they've grown up in a in a fish tank their whole yeah. life eating food that's been fed to them. So they'll eat anything you throw at them. But if you go out and catch a wild trout, that takes some skill. I, you know, I do a lot of trout fishing and I do steelhead fishing and all those things. Um, it's all relative, you know, it just depends on your experience and what you, what you're going after, but you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think one of the things that I, uh, a lot of people get attracted with bass fishing is because it's so hard to catch. Um, oh, compared, yeah. you know, like we're talking about tournaments, you know, when you need to get, you know, consistently in the late, in the top teens or the low 20s to actually have a chance to catch a check. Um, those are extremely hard to catch compared to other things. Plus, there's a lot more technique involved versus just throwing chicken liver and, you know, a bobber <laughs> and just waiting for Sure, catfishing. You know? Yep. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong. It's catfishing. No, it's great. Know, it's, it's super. Great. But it's, it's just... I think a lot of people just, just like myself are, you know, just, how do you, what is that word? 
masochist? Is that the word I'm looking for? Where you, just, <laughs> you know, you want to like the hardest road. That's right. You that's right. Your goal, that's what you're going after. What's the bait that they're unlikely to bite? That's what I want to throw. And what's more expensive? <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. But yeah, we can go down that rabbit hole on that a lot. But I wanted to also talk about the Pacific Northwest as, you know, in, from the climate standpoint. Like, I've always thought it would be hold, um, cold, harsh winters. Now, I had a friend, a co-worker from Texas that moved to Seattle. She was originally from Seattle, got relocated uh, through the furlough and then retired and moved back to Seattle. So I got a chance to learn a lot about Seattle. And I found out that it's actually winters in Seattle, she was telling me, are warmer than typical winters in Texas. And that blew my mind. I'm like, that cannot be true. Now, I've learned a lot about it. Well, my limited Google and YouTube research, right? That a lot of it has to do with the Rocky Mountains and the um, Pacific winds, kind of warm Pacific winds just coming up and getting trapped in kind of like a micro micro climate, you know, uh-huh. within the mountains and the wind pushing up. What is your experience moving from Arizona to the Pacific Northwest <laughs> when it comes to weather? I couldn't, couldn't be much different, I would say. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right with what you were saying. It's, uh, we are kind of a microclimate here. We're a rainforest. I live pretty close to Portland. I'm about uh, 45, 30, 45 minutes away from Portland. And um, we're in the middle of a rainforest here. You know, it's big, old growth, dug fir trees and stuff. And so the, the Cascade Mountain Range, the, the weather comes off the ocean and bumps into that mountain range and really can't just pass over it. So we get rain that hangs out here. Uh, and the winter is our rainy season. That's when it's really wet from November to, to March, really, is our, our rainy season. Although this has been a pretty, and this has been an especially mild winter. We, we had a lot of rain early in the winter. But it's been pretty dry. It's bluebird skies out there right now. And it's probably, uh, I don't know, it's probably about 45 today. Um, we've had kind of a cold snap the last few days where it got down to 20. But that's kind of unusual. It's usually in the 30s to 50s um, throughout most of the winter. And when it rains, it's a little warmer than when, it, than when it's sunny. Because um, that kind of traps the, the warmth in. Um, but yeah, and our summers, you know, everybody thinks of it as being rainy up here, and it is, but the summers are not rainy at all. In fact, we had very little rain last summer, and, and it was a pretty hot summer. Uh, we had a number of days that got up to about 100 degrees. So it's, it's we, we get all, all types of weather here, from snow to, to heat to rain to snow. Um, just depends on if you wait long enough. Yeah. So... What is like the best season to go for bass fishing in your area? It really starts to take off around May. Uh, you know, our tournament season here starts in March. Um, it starts in just a few days, but it's pretty slow. March is pretty slow. By the end of March, people will start catching some fish. And, and I know people who've been fishing all winter, and you can catch fish, especially smallmouth. Or they don't mind colder weather, so they're still pretty active if you can find them. The largemouth are a little little slow and lethargic this time of year, but I've caught them in January, so it's doable. Um, but around the end of April, beginning of May, it starts to really take off. You know, that's the pre-spawn is all through April, really. So the spawn starts around end of April, early May, and April, May, June is just gangbusters. And the whole summer is really good, and it's not so hot. Usually it's not so hot that you can't fish all summer which was the thing in Arizona, like middle yeah. of summer, even if you go out at dawn and, and just fish a few hours, by the time you get off the water, it's 105 to 110 degrees. It's, it's brutal. And up here, you can fish all, all day long in the summer and it's not really a problem. Uh, and then the fall is great too. And the fall kind of stretches pretty long and well into October where the fishing is still great all the way through October. The, and I'm assuming not based on what we talked about a little bit about the culture of bass fishing and it's just barely going, but what is the thought on bed fishing? Like I know some states um, in the Northeast, they don't allow bed fishing, you know, doing the spawning just to, you know, keep the healthy. 
how is it over there in Oregon? Is it frowned upon? Is it illegal? Is it now you're now you're touching on a a sensitive subject up here for oh, us bass really? anglers. <laughs> it's uh, the problem is, like I said, because the salmon and steelhead side of things has been so strong for so long here. Uh, that also means a lot of the fish and game departments are heavily powered by the salmon and steelhead side of things. And so I talked to the warm water bios at, at the fish and game in Washington and Oregon and Idaho, all three. I, I talk to them regularly because, you know, I have to work with them for doing our tournaments and everything. And I told you how great the Columbia River is. There's no limit on bass in the Columbia. They don't care if you catch them all and kill them all. They could care less. Uh, there's a river in Oregon, the Coquille River, which used to have a lot of salmon in it. The salmon runs have gone away, and now it's it's uh, the smallmouth have done really well there. Um, and a lot of the salmon people will feel like, oh, well, it's the smallmouth's fault that the salmon runs are gone. I'm like, no. If you <laughs> if you took the smallmouth away, it's not like the salmon are going to come back tomorrow. No. They're they're not gonna. Well, in that river, they actually have allowed spear fishing for smallmouth. I've read that. <laughs> I actually read that. There's so many places in, especially Washington and Oregon, where it's just like, no limit. Do whatever you want. And I'm like, you guys don't understand the resource that you have and the world-class fishery that you have for smallmouth in the Columbia. People travel to these smallmouth destinations all over the country. I've done, I mean, my, I've, yeah. my uncle lives in Pennsylvania, so I go and fish the Susquehanna and the Juniata rivers in Pennsylvania with him a lot. And it's a fantastic fishery. And like you said, in the spawn, they shut those rivers down. You can't even target smallmouth during the spawn because they recognize what a resource it is for the community and all the people that are gonna come in and and chase those fish so they really protect it they haven't figured that out up here yet the, the warm water bios have when i talk to them they're like yeah we really want to do this but they just don't have the, the clout they don't have the power in the organizations yet to make that happen so you know me and some of my friends some of the organizations that that uh my tour series is affiliated with we're trying to make changes uh inroads to that end but it's it's a challenge. So I, I would fish. I don't personally don't like to fish beds, even if I'm in a, in a tournament, if I have to, and I'm in a tournament and I want to win, of course I'll, I'll do it, but it's not my favorite type of fishing. It feels like, feels like fishing by intimidation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just like pissing the fish off so much that it finally will bite. Um, and it was pretty common in Arizona when the spawn came, you knew everybody, people were out there trying to catch bed fish and, and catching giants in the spring. I haven't noticed that as much up here. There certainly is an opportunity for it. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't, and I don't see fish on beds as much up here uh, because of just, I think because of the nature of the bodies of water, it's a little more challenging to find them. the water in some cases isn't as clear. Um, you know, the water here is usually stained a bit. So it's a little harder to bed fish, especially a small mouth are going to bed you know, 15 feet down. So if stained water 15 feet down, you're, yeah. you're not going to see them. I, I mean, I used to fish Lake Havasu and you can see 30 feet down in, in that lake. Uh, so it's pretty easy to, to see them on beds. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't noticed it being an issue up here where people are fishing beds a lot, but there, there's certainly no restriction on it. They can do it as much as they want. That's interesting that you mentioned that, especially uh, like smallmouth, how they bed fish so deep, even on stained water. Like over here, I've noticed, especially in Lake Fork, um, because the water is stained, especially on, up in those creeks, they'll bed fish where you can see the tail. Just You can see the tail just like, you know, um, airing out the eggs. So you'll see them. You can spot them just by looking at, you see that tail just kind of you know, peeking out of the surface. Coming out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of the water. So it makes it easier while oh, um, clear bodies of water, like Wheeler Branch Reservoir, they'll be bed fishing about five, sometimes 10 fish, 10 feet. I'm sorry, depending on the water clarity. Sure. Which you can see them. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I've, you know, I'm not very knowledgeable on the um, biology side of, smallmouth um fishing 
I wouldn't even know when smallmouth, smallmouth, smallmouth bass, yeah, um, actually um, spawn here in Texas. I need to get more in touch with that. But then again, I don't really target smallmouth bass here because that's not going to win your tournament in most cases. But it is a great fish, you know, nevertheless. It is a beautiful fish that gives you a great fight. And if you happen to catch one that's big enough for Texas size, you know, compared, you know, because they don't grow that big, it is an exciting fight to have. I, I love them. I mean, I don't think there's an angrier fish out there. They're just, they're just mean and angry. I, I love them for their attitude. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're beautiful fish too, of course. And like you say, great fighters, but it's their attitude that I just love about them. They, uh, they're cantankerous. Yeah, they are definitely. Um, but now you mentioned that you run tournaments. I kind of wanted to talk about, I mean, your role in promoting the bass fishing. Sure. What do you, what, What's the uh, organization that you associate with and what exactly do you do as far as uh, growing? Yeah, so I, I was involved with some tournament stuff in Arizona a little bit. And then when I moved out here, I was like, oh, great. Now I'm just going to fish. I'm just going to have fun and fish a lot. So a guy, Aaron Roberts, good buddy of mine, had started this, um, this kayak fishing tournament series here for bass called Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing. And uh, I joined it and I fished, um, fished with them in 2018 and I did pretty well. Um, I, I placed in a handful of the tournaments and uh, caught a lot of fish. And then Aaron had some personal stuff with life and work that was coming up. And so near the end of the season, he asked me, he's, he said, uh, would you consider taking this over for me? And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, maybe. So we talked about it. And that's when we were starting to, he was starting to get going with uh, Idaho and Washington as well. So I helped him kind of construct this uh, structure for how it works. And so we've got Kite Fishing Northwest, which is a hat I'm wearing, KFNW. That is sort of the governing body for um, all the tournaments that we run in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. So each of those is a separate division within this, this parent organization. Uh, and so we run 15 tour events between the three states and we don't overlap any of them. So if you wanted to travel around and fish all three states, you certainly can do it. Um, and then we do a championship between the three states that rotates between the three states every year. So it'll be in, it's in uh, Washington this year, it'll be in Oregon next year, and then it'll be in Idaho the year after that. Um, so we just kind of do a round robin deal. Uh, we do a bunch of online tournaments. Um, we do a number of opens. We've got a couple of big uh, sponsor opens. We're doing one for NRS this year up at Dwarshack Reservoir in Idaho. They're a big sponsor of ours. And we're doing one for Native Watercraft. The uh, You probably have heard a little bit about that. The, uh, the No Limit Big Bass Power Hour, uh, you know, Vinny Ferrari down in the... Uh, Carolinas did one last December as sort of a test run, and we're doing five of them this year in different parts of the country. So I'm running the one up here at Potholes Reservoir. Uh, but, you know, like you were saying, a lot of my motivation for it is to build community and build support for bass fishing, kayak bass fishing, and bass fishing in general, both. Um, that, that's sort of what I get out of it. I'm not super competitive. I've never been a, a really heavy competitive fisherman, but I love the, that's one thing I love about the kayak tournament um, community is it's a little bit more friendly. It's a little yep. bit more camaraderie. It's a little bit more sharing. It's not quite as cutthroat. It's not quite as me against you. Um, and I like that aspect of it. That's kind of what fills me with joy when I, when I get involved with it and, and all the anglers that, that we support and help and all the sponsors that come along and, and help us. It's, you know, I, I like those aspects of it. Yeah. And I think one of the big reasons on it, not to stay away too much, um, stray away too much from the main subject, but it's like when nobody's here in the kayak fishing community and tournament expected to make a living out of just winnings versus, you know, bass boat world where you actually you know, need to perform. Sure. There's sure. money involved. You need to feed your family. You know, I don't want to say the money's a root for evil because I don't believe that it's the obsession with it. I think that's a good word. 
but you know going back to it it's like we're in the kayak fishing community don't have to worry about well i need to catch a check in order to make a living we're all just here to having fun so we'll see once it you know gets to that level when and if it does how it's going to affect but at the moment we have to enjoy what we have and i think yeah yeah, absolutely. If you're going to try and make a living in in kayak tournament kayak fishing, you got to wear a lot of hats. You got to, yeah. you know, the Christine Fishers and people that, yeah. you know, she's she's got to do a lot of stuff. It's not you're not going to make it just on tournament winnings because um, yeah. it's not enough. Although the tournament winnings are going way up. I mean, yeah. you look at the Hobie BOS series and hundred thousand bucks for their tournament champions this year. I mean, that's it's pretty impressive. We we gave out uh, over forty five thousand dollars last year up here in cash and payouts, and over twenty five thousand dollars in gear. So, you know, we're no slouch either. But that's our whole gear, and OBBOS is doing it. <laughs> it's doubling that in one three, tournament. Three days, yeah. Three yeah. Days. Well, yeah, three days, but one tournament. Yep. And and I wanted to touch on something because I know most of my listeners kind of understand this, and uh, maybe one or two that are just getting into kayak fishing, but. Growing the sport actually helps in the conservation of it. Well, people totally. don't think about this. People think where you're fishing, you're kind of like destroying the, you know, hampering the growth of the fish. Not ex- not really, but no. when you look about, when you think about it, when you do kayak fishing Pacific Northwest, right? The culture over there is like, quote unquote, this is a pest. And the more we get rid of this pest, the better the ecological system for steelhead or, or salmon, it's going to grow. Yep. You bring a community that all of a sudden is invested in bass fishing and it creates that mentality. No, we need to save this fish in order for this to grow and bring in tourism, bring in um, money, um, not just for the tournament, but for the local economy. For the community. The yeah. Community. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one thing that's important that a lot of people don't realize. The fact that there are so many tournaments, both in kayak and boat fishing, um, dedicated to bass fishing, especially in areas where they weren't like five, ten years ago, is actually helping the health of this fish and the growth of this fish because it creates now an environment where the state or community says, says we need to conserve this in order to, you know, get people to come here and visit us and enjoy the resources. So that that. I think a lot of people don't get that. And I didn't get that at the beginning. And now that I'm more invested on it, doing the podcast and actually fishing on tournaments, I see that. And it's that that is very important. I couldn't say it much better than that. You <laughs> you summed it up really well there. But uh yeah, it's um you know, especially tournament kayak bass fishing, it's all catch and release. It's it's all catch photo release. And like I said, I talked to these bios with the fish and game departments and I mean, they're just amazed. They're like, this is fantastic. You guys are, are doing catch photo release. I send them our, um, a link to our leaderboard on tourney X and they can go in there and their bios can look at every single fish we caught and see what the health of the fish is, how, how big they are, how, how long and how heavy they are. Um, they're like, we don't get this from anybody else. This is, yeah. this is fantastic. Um, but yeah, we're all about trying to protect our resource. And that's the tough thing with the salmon steelhead world. They're, they want it so that they can take it home. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to keep those fish. If they catch a fish that's legal, uh, they're going to take it. And yeah. I don't know. That, that's a less sustainable model than, than ours is, I think, um, where we're just taking the fish out of the water to say hello and take a picture and then send it back to it's, especially if it's bedding season, I mean, right back on the bed, uh, just a yeah. few seconds later. Yeah. And that's one of the things talking about boat tournaments, MLF that I appreciate about the MLF, just kind of watching the videos mm-hmm. um, and TV on, on Lake Fork, you know, it's kind of that time where they're starting to the beginning of spawning season. So for them to just say, hey, we just waited here, take records of it, put it back in the water. I think it's great. Nothing against uh, Bassmaster. You know, there, there's sure. there's a lot more market. It is a lot more marketable when you bring everybody to the big yeah. stage yeah. and they hold up the fish. The awards is very different. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but then <laughs> again, it you know it um, it doesn't help the the health of the fish when you take them out of that lake and then especially in bedding season. But that I mean, that's I, I, I think you're right. Day, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you talk about MLF and that's. 
MLF is made for um, for an audience, right? That's yeah. that's what that format is really good for is for people to watch it. I think we're, we'll eventually get there with kayak fishing. You know, people yeah. have talked about it and tried to do it. We don't quite have the the cell service or the Wi-Fi to do it at this point, but at some point you're going to have a couple of cameras on every kayak and you're going to be able to watch these people catching fish. I think once the technology becomes affordable, yeah, because they're probably, I mean, when you think about when we, we, I mean, you and I might, uh, Marvin, we're pretty much kind of, I'm assuming kind of like, we're not going to say what's your age or my age, but we're kind of uh, on tw- that. 23. Age. I'm yeah. 23. Yeah. I'm 25. So, <laughs> so, you know, back when we were five years old and we used to have our own handheld cameras, what that thing that you put on your shoulder. Is, oh yeah. About 25. Holy the and cell what, phone, the brick yeah. cell phone. Yeah. And now you have a little GoPro that's, you know, four in that's less, crazy. like two inches wide and two inches in length in so eventually i think the technology is going to be there once it's there um i think it's really i mean when you think about the growth of the kayak fishing community in the last few years especially in the pandemic like that's one of the i think probably the only sport that really grew in the pandemic because now people was like well we're more limited you know what we can do um so let's do let's buy a kayak go out in the water have fun Absolutely. So that grew even in the middle of the pandemic. But talking about the growth of it, what is, as, you know, as you worked as a tournament director and worked with growing the sport of smallmouth or bass fishing, I should say, in the Pacific Northwest, how have you seen it grow from when you started to where it is now? Like how many are you averaging versus then and now as far as English? Yeah, so I started, like I said, I fished the tournaments in 2018. I started running them in 2019. And, you know, our numbers in 2019 were small. I mean, we'd we'd have a dozen people fish some events. Um, was about all all we would get for certain events. Other ones were a little bigger, depending on where we're fishing and the date. But, um, and now, last year, uh, we were, we had probably half of our events were, over 40 or 50 anglers. That's not bad. Um, Our first event this year, first time we've ever done this, is we're taking uh, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington, and we're combining them for one event, for our first tour event of the year, where all three divisions have to compete. And if they want to, and it's it's on the Columbia River, sort of in the middle of of where most of us are, Um, so it's not a terrible trek to get there. But we're going to have easily over 100 people at that event. Um, so that, that'll be pretty epic. That, that'll be a big event. So, yeah, the numbers, like you said, kayak fishing in general is growing. And, and it blossomed during the pandemic because people didn't have many choices. Um, but, you know, I don't think that's a bowl. I think they're going to stay with it, at least most of them. Um, the thing that really made a difference for us besides just the natural growth arc that we're seeing is we started raising money to increase our payouts with sponsor money. Instead of just paying people out their entry fees, we're actually boosting that with sponsor money so that the payouts are big. We had, you know, first place in most of our events last year was a thousand bucks. And this year it's going to be more like Probably eighteen hundred bucks, I would say, is going to be an average really? first place take in, in with, our events. With about forty tournament angles? with about fifty people, I think wow. first place is going to be fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars, probably. Um, That's not bad at all with sponsor money. No, it's good. Um, What's the entry fee? Fifty bucks. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Now yeah. let me ask you this, because that's interest. That that's a business model a lot of people should follow. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, we don't see. We don't see. I mean, in order for me to see a eighteen hundred dollars payout in first place, um, you need a hundred people, about, right? Yeah, more than a hundred people. Yeah. Um, yeah. How have you developed that business model on a market where it's not as smaller than on the average smaller than most states that do bass fishing? How do you get the sponsor money? What have you done that? What have you figured out that other states haven't figured out? I guess that's my question. Uh, yeah, I think that's one reason Aaron asked me to step in and help why he chose me to do that, even though I was kind of new to the state, is 
uh, probably a little bit of my business background. I'm a small business owner. Um, you know, I, I do graphic design, web design, and uh, and brand strategy, and I've done that for on my own for over 20 years, um, and my entire career. That's that's really what I've worked in. So that helps. That really comes in handy. And I'm used to working with clients. I'm worse to used to dealing with clients and, and working together with them. And so it's not that different for me to go out and try to sell the idea that we're going to promote you. We're going to um, give you uh, ROI, return on your investment, so that if you donate whatever amount it is, $1,000, $5,000, if you donate that amount to us, we're going to make sure that we bring that business back to you and you're going to make money on that uh, investment that you made in us, and we've been really successful at building on that. It's not it's not something you can do overnight. You know, mm-hmm. first year I started out just going for in kind donations, just gear sponsorship, and that's a lot easier for for people starting out in the tournament world. That's where I would focus your energy to begin with is just try and get people to donate gear and and give away the gear. But when you do that. You got to do it right. Like you got to have good photos of giving the gear to the person. You got to promote it on social media. You got to promote it on your website. You have to do all that because that's that's how you're paying for that gear is by giving them some kind of value for it. And if you don't, then they won't come back to you. Uh, but they have for us. And then we were able, we're able to leverage that one year and say, look, this is what we did for you. Now let's take it up a notch and another notch and another notch. Um, and so we've got sponsors that are willing to, to spend some money on us to, to help us grow and it's worked. Um, we, we definitely have grown, you know, like you said, our, our payouts are a little higher than most for the number of anglers that we, that we have. And we're super grateful to our sponsors for letting us do that. That's awesome. What, if if I may ask, what sponsors do you have? So this year, our uh, our big sponsors, number one is Next Adventure, which is, uh, you know, they're an outfitter in Portland. Um, you know, they've got, they do all kinds of, they're basically like a local REI type type business. You know, they do all kinds of camping and um, and hiking gear and everything. But they've got one of, two of their locations are just paddle sports is, is all they're focused on is, is all, you know, kayaks and canoes and uh, stand up paddle boards and all that. Uh, so they have been a longtime sponsor of us, even before I was here, and we've developed a fantastic relationship with them to the point where when they're looking to hire somebody, they reach out to us and say, we want to bring somebody in from your organization who knows bass fishing, who is an avid kayak angler. We want them to work in our shop because they're going to be able to sell this. Um, they give us discounts so we can send our members to them. Uh, and our members specifically get a, a special discount from them on on boats or accessories or anything they need. It's you know it's a fantastic relationship that we've developed with with that dealer. Um, and then our other big sponsors this year are going to be Jackson Kayak is uh, is one of our big big sponsors this year. That's the first time working with them. Richard Penny, who some people uh, might might remember from KBF days, um, he's he's their uh, sales rep in this area and uh, works their pro team as well. So he was instrumental in helping us land that deal this year. And then uh, NRS, who've been, again, longtime sponsor of ours, have a great relationship with them. Um, they're just a fantastic company. We all use their gear, right? Everybody uses some kind of NRS gear, whether it's the Chinook PFD or Boundary Boots or something. Uh, everybody uses them. So those are our three biggies this year. We usually have three to five big sponsors, and then we have a lot of smaller sponsors that are donating gear for us to give away. And that's awesome! Uh, congratulations to what you've done there. I think Thanks. That's amazing. I deserve a lot of props for that. Now let me ask you this: um, me and, for example, me and Shane on our um, host chat, we always Shane from uh, Bass uh, Bass Thumbs Fishing from California. We always debating on why major trails like Bassmasters, Kayak Series now, and uh, Hobie BOS not investing, you know, in 
California, my thought is like, well, if we, Go we west. Trail, yeah, we have a national trail and then only 40, 50, 40, 55 local languages are showing up. It's not worth their investing the resources. Now, I don't believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I've seen any of those national trails go all the way to the Pacific Northwest. Would you like to see them? And do you think the local talent would support them? They have touched on it, I will say. Um, before we dive too far into that, shout out to uh, Utah, our our sister yeah. state, who I'm, I'm good friends with Erin Mathis, who runs Tide Fishing Utah. She does a fantastic job. And those anglers have been killing it. Cody Henley, yeah. you know, winning the 10. Uh, those, all, all the, and then they just did this big Yakabass tournament down yeah. in uh, Northern California. And that was another U Utah guy who won it. Uh, Chris Spence. Yep. Uh, you know, that, all, all those folks are, are doing a fantastic job and bringing a lot of attention to us here in the West. Bryce Gibbs, that I mentioned earlier in Arizona, too, bringing a lot of attention to the West. Um, KBF did some events up here. They did some trail events early on. We did one in Oregon before, right before I moved here. And we tried to do another one on the Columbia, but... Um, I don't know that the, the numbers didn't work on out on that one. Hobie BS did do one. They did one on the Delta in California. They didn't get the numbers that they wanted, no. um, which, you know, shame on the anglers here. But at the same time, we had one shot and that's it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you didn't get the numbers. You're out. Um, so that was a little tough. But uh, I, I hope that they'll come back. Um, you know, Bassmaster's taking a different approach with trying to do the the local regional yep. clubs and they had some challenges with that, but they're, they're working through. And I think they've gotten some of that figured out. Um, I, I think they'll be up here eventually. And that's one of the reasons we're doing what we do that, that touches on that gets into the whole conversation of the West coast championship, which we haven't yep. talked about at all. And that's um, an event that, that I help run with James Snyder from Yakabas NorCal and Mark Chrisman from uh, SoCal uh, Kayak Anglers. So the three of us run the West Coast Championship, really. And the West Coast Championship is like seven different uh, kayak clubs, in, all in Western states, Arizona, Utah, my three, California, um, Colorado now. And it's just a loose DIY kind of alliance. It's a very organic thing. It's not, uh, it's not a big organization. And so they qualify anglers in their regular events all season long, or at least the first part of the season. And then those qualified anglers can go to Clear Lake and fish Clear Lake on the championship, August uh, 18 and 19, 19 and 20, 19 and 20. Um, and that was super successful last year. We had 104 anglers show up and fish. Mike Lavoie won it and he won over 10 grand in, uh, you know, he had big bass both days and he had side pots. And when, when you count all that stuff up, he had over 10 grand. Uh, so that, I think that and the NRS open and the, uh, the native uh, big bass power hour, those events are all going to get big numbers. There's just too much money in them, too much opportunity to win that they're going to attract anglers. And I think that will draw the attention of some of the, the bigger national trails and they'll give us a second look probably. Uh, I get it. I mean, they, they got to hit their numbers or it's not worth it for them to do it. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting. We, like I said, we debate that a, a, a lot. And one of the things is if like, if what I always say, if like if Hobie BOS is going to a sponsorship and say, Hey, we are averaging, we're selling out like they are this year. We're selling out um, all our events. They can say, well, we want this from you. Like, this is the money that we expect from you. Versus going, well, we didn't average a sellout, mainly because you went to California and you averaged 50. So that's 75% less than you would on a, on, you know. Hard to justify, it, right? It's, yeah. it, it's one of the things where like, well, now you're losing money. Even if you, I always say, Hobie BOS is not interested in making money per se, out of the tournament versus what That's Bassmaster right. does. Bassmaster, their job is to host tournaments and make money. That's right. Hobie, their job is to make kayaks. It's to, now, sell, having, it's to yeah. sell watercraft, yeah. 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 Now, yeah. having the brand extend to tournament is bringing 
you know, attention to their products, which again, to me, my opinion is he'll be saying, as long as I'm not losing money by hosting tournaments, AJ, you can do whatever you want. Just don't make sure we're not losing money. We um, break even, we're making money, right? Yeah, we break even, we're making money because now you're yeah. paying for this amazing um, promotion that you don't have to pay by commercials or any other thing because institutional kind of, branding. Okay, yeah. Yeah. What, what's the, what's the value of that institutional branding yeah. of Hobie being a household word? I mean, that's, yeah. that's worth a lot of money. You know, it's, and it, it's funny because we look into, I done um, home inspections, right? And one of the things in home inspections that we do is you don't refer to drywall as sheetrock because that's a product <laughs> name. Yeah. We have the tendency and Hobie be, and the Hobie it's at, I don't think anybody's going to just adopt the word Hobie to substitute it for a kayak, but it's getting to that point where you get that brand name that it fishing kayak. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, when people think of a fishing kayak, you're right to a degree that happens. They're like, Oh, I've seen those Hobies, you know, and and referring to a fishing kayak. Yeah. And you can't put any money on that, you know, but I mean, it's growing. I understand the other side of it. Like if I'm in California, and only get one shot at a Hobie or Bassmaster. Well, guess what? I'm not going to be able to qualify for an Angler of the Year. So why am I paying $250 for a tournament that I'm only going to do once a year where I can just pay $50 for a tournament? That, Excellent point. Well, I, I understand yeah. those both sides. And I like the fact that Bassmaster is doing its thing where they has just the national trail. Not the national trail, the, you know, the state chapter. And Hobie BOS is doing something with the American Bass Association where they're kind of like sponsoring. So they're paying pretty much. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. To have their name on the trailer. Yeah, and I think uh, that's what's going to happen. Yep. yep. Eventually. Uh, you know, the other aspect of it that I think people don't quite understand sometimes, you probably have a better sense of it being in Texas, but I grew up on the East Coast, so I get it. People don't quite understand the scale of the West compared to the yeah. east um for me to drive from where i am to fish one of our tournaments in the boise area is a nine ten hour drive yep. um you know i used to live in north carolina well i could drive from north carolina to new jersey in eight hours yep. um that's that's a big chunk of the eastern coast right like i've gone a long way or i could drive down to florida um in the same amount of time here you know, if I want to drive down to Southern California, I mean, that's, that's 13 hours, 13, 14 hours. If I want to drive to Lake Havasu, that's more like 18 hours. So it's tough. It's very tough to compete geographically out here. It's, we're just much more spread out and there's just a lot more empty space. There's a lot of land that, that there aren't any people, the density of people on the East coast is, is much tighter. Um, and Texas is sort of in between the two, right? You're yeah. 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 And I think, but, and that's funny because I tell my friends, you know, when, if, when we're going to tournaments, if I want to, if I believe on Dallas, which is considered central Texas, which is not, it's really more East Texas. East, but yeah. A lot of the West is just um, kind of like just not dead land, but just land that's, you know, vacant. Land. It's, it's like New Mexico and Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. So it's four hours to get to the eastern border. I drive to Georgia. It's closer for me. I and again, keep in mind, I do. I live four hours from the eastern border. If I drive to Georgia, it's still shorter than driving beeline it all the way to the west side border of Texas. You're in so a big state. Big, <laughs> <laughs> You're I'll in a very big state. Yeah, I'll cause 
I'll drive four hours across two or three states before I get to the the others to west side of Texas. Sure. That's how big it is. So yeah, and and even adding to that, when you're talking about California, the West Coast, you have to go through the Rocky Mountains, which is a lot more in gas prices. <laughs> you know, having to go Indeed. through that. Especially and, nowadays, yeah. Yeah. So I, I get why I understand. And I think that's why people have to think about it differently. We have to think about the West Coast as being its own region and growing it as its own region and having its own thing and making it build, making it them for profitable where they can make, you know, kind of like the same winnings they would make on a national trail. I think that's the way we need to rethink it and reapproach it. That's just my personal opinion. But again, it's yeah. hard to ask yeah. people to travel and, yeah. and they do it. You know, Cody Henley just did it. Obviously went down yeah. to Florida to compete from Utah. That's a haul. Um, it's hard to ask people again, when our payouts are not so great that you can make a career out of this, yeah. it's hard to ask them to do that multiple times in a season to travel back and, and fish in Alabama. You know, I was born right near Lake, Lake Gunnersville. I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. So I, I know that area. I have a lot of family still down there. Um, but yeah, for me to travel down there and fish or Florida or Tennessee, um, you know, that's a lot. That, yeah. That's a that's a big giant trip for me. That's three days in a in a car. Definitely time away from family plus Airbnb, yeah. bills, yeah. and all that gas prices. Well, Marvin, I've had you for almost an hour, and I don't want to keep you too long. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us, talk about the Pacific Northwest bass fishing, smallmouth fishing. Um, and first of all, I wish you the best moving forward as far as growing the sport over there. Anything we can do to help out, you know, Paddle and Finn, obviously, we're more than happy to help to grow this, grow the sport everywhere. I wanted to give you a few minutes to thank everybody. You want to thank, I'm just, like you mentioned, you have some sponsors that have helped you. If you want to take time to thank individuals or companies, please take your time to do that. Okay, great. Yeah, I mentioned some of our big sponsors. Um, we've got a, a handful of other sponsors that have been great and been with us a long time. Um, I, I don't want to go through that whole list because I'll miss somebody and I, and I hate to do it, but, uh, but there's some, there's some fantastic ones in there and you can get them all on our website, uh, kayakfishingnorthwest.com. Um, you know, my other tournament directors, that's one of the neat things we have by running three divisions. I've got, uh, Jim Davis, who's our, my tournament director in Washington and Chris Bordas, who's my tournament director in Idaho. And then between the three of us, we always have people to judge events and make sure that, uh, we're covered that way. We all compete still in our tournament series, so we don't we don't judge ourselves um, like that. That's a no no. So it's yeah. always nice to have those other people to do it. And we have a bunch of assistants: Kagan Pankratz and Matthew Burdick helped me here in Oregon. Patrick Kelly in Washington. We've got people that help us with photos and help us run events. Uh, they've all been just fantastic. You know, the same thing we were talking about earlier. We've got such a great community of people, and it really shows when we do events because whenever we need help, uh, we have it. Um, who else? Is there anybody else I should thank? Uh, your wife. I always tell people, thank your wife. Yeah, my girlfriend, Chelsea. She's, uh, yeah, she's very gracious. Um, we both work from home here. She's got an office out back, and I've got an office here in the house. So, uh but yeah, I, I spend a lot of time away from away from home in the summer. So good on her for allowing me to do that. <laughs> Definitely. Marvin, where can people either follow you or um, the, you know, on social media or if you want, if you prefer them to follow, I don't know if your um, the trails that you spot, um, you direct have a social media account, but regardless, which where would people follow? Marvin Forte or the tournament or the trails that are in the Pacific Northwest. The nice thing about having a somewhat unique name, as you yourself have a somewhat unique name as well, um, is every if you just search Marvin Forte, you'll find me. There's not very many other Marvin Fortes in the world. There are a few. Uh, my dad's not with us anymore. He was a Marvin Forte, but uh, uh, but there are a few out there. But if you do a search uh, for Marvin Forte or for Kayak Fishing Northwest, you will find everything there is to find about uh, both the organization and about me. No problem. Simple. Well, thank, you. thank you again, Marvin, for taking the time to join us and
talk about great fisheries that you have up there and the wonderful job that you are doing. Again, we wish you the best moving forward. Um, you know, it's it's great to see the bass fishing and kayak fishing community grow in everywhere. Yeah. Um, and we hope that it's it grows enough where we can see more national trails come up to that area of the country and give us an excuse to go out there and go fishing. So thank you again, Marvin. Thanks um, for having you. me. I, I hope you can come up here and fish in the Northwest. You said it's on your bucket list, so it is. come on up. We'll get you on some fish. No problem. Oh, I have to ask you, what, what beer are you drinking? I noticed you. you oh, yeah, yeah. I had to go. I had to go local. So yeah, uh, I've got a rogue uh, dead guy ale, which is uh, like the, the rogue river is one of the uh, one of the classic wild rivers in the country and, and in the West. Um, just a, a fantastic, beautiful river down in southern Oregon. And Rogue Brewery named themselves after that river. And this is a great, uh, this is a great beer. They do some unique packaging, if you notice that. Yeah, no, they spend <laughs> a lot on the. Um, on the well, logo. there's like, <laughs> like five of the cans in there will be like this, and then one will have the full. It's got a dead guy. It's got like a skeleton. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, as long as it tastes great, I don't care what the label says. Indeed. Right. Well, Thanks so much, Armando. My pleasure. For those out there listening, thank you again for tuning in. If you made it this far, go check out the sponsor called Douglas Outdoors, douglasoutdoors.com. Check out the full lineup, LRS, X-Matrix, and Fly Fishing Rods. If you're going to be out on the water, you're going to have a few beers. Please drink responsibly, wear your PFDs, and stay safe, everyone. Peace. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.